So, as I said, we're in the vision and mission series, and our vision is a place to, and a place to, and we talked about those at the beginning of the series and what it means to belong, even before you believe that we were created by God in this place, in this world, in our, uh, the great human family, in a place of belonging. And in that space that we were born, we get a chance to develop relationships. And that one of the relationships that all of humanity has strived for since the beginning of time is to know and to understand something about the one who created us, the being who created us. And so at Christ City, our vision, the place that we're always trying to head toward is to be a place to belong for anyone who wishes to belong, no matter, no matter what, no matter their uh, gender, their race, their sexual orientation, their socioeconomic status, no matter if they're from Ireland or they're from South America or they're from the United States or even if they're from Arkansas. Anyone can belong here. Just kidding. There's nothing wrong with Arkansas. It's a beautiful place. And that in, in, in that belonging, we are searching together to know the Creator. And so then we, we moved into our mission, and we have a new mission that we're embarking upon at Christ City, to become followers of Jesus who serve with heart, who worship in wonder, and create with purpose. So the last two weeks, we talked about the first two, serving with heart, where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love, love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, everything you've got but that there's a second commandment just as important that's inextricable from the first, and that's to love yourself really well and then to love your neighbor out of that love and connection with yourself and with God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus told a parable, a story about what that looked like with the Samaritan who showed love and served with a full heart, someone he didn't even know on the side of the street. And we talked about all of the beautiful nuances of that parable, not all of them, but a few. And then last week we talked about worship and wonder and how Jesus said he invited babies and children to come to him and be blessed and to be with him. And that while we want to rebuke some of the things that are so pure and so good about human curiosity and wonder that shows up, in our little, small human beings, Jesus said, unless you become like that child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That there is an element to, to, to worship and to knowing God and to life that can only be expressed through wonder. These are the, these two new parts of our mission. They're not unfamiliar, I don't think, but they're new in terms of our mission. And then this morning, we're talking about what does it mean to create with purpose. And so human beings, we create, don't we? We make stuff. And, and while a bee always makes a beehive and a beaver always makes a dam, human beings can make anything. They can make all kinds of stuff and they can make AI. They can make atomic bombs. They can make a house. They can make bread. They can make another human being. And we, of course, use our capacity to make things, to create things for good and for ill, that we create sometimes with little thought 
about what the implications are. Anybody remember the original Jurassic Park movie? I don't know what, they're on like 10 or something of those with, you know, some of, one of the Pratt guys, you know, one of them. And, but the, in the original one, you know, uh, what, what's, what's the actor's name from the fly? Malcolm, uh, Jeff, Jeff Goldwyn, that's right. He says, uh, yeah, so, so you scientists, you, 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 were, you were so busy figuring out what you could do, you, you didn't think about if you should do it, right? And that's the story of being human. Scientists are always the foil for that in movies and stuff, but that's what it means to be human. Can I do this? Let's try. Let's see what happens if I do this. But should I do this? And so what does it look like to harness our ability to create with a purpose that comes from this creator that knows us and loves us and wants to connect with us in this way, to create with this type of purpose. The purpose with which we create is all important. All of the questions facing humanity today ride on that presupposition, the why are we creating what we create. Years ago, I was... uh, finishing my undergraduate in a BFA degree, Bachelor's of Fine Arts. And I was uh, talking with uh, somebody. It was at, a, it was at this church uh, discipleship event thing called Downline. Anybody know what that is? I, I, was, I was in the first class of Downline uh, 17 years ago. And I was sitting here talking with somebody, and this dentist was listening. Uh, he was probably around 50. I was 23. So between the knowledge base between me and him, I knew way more because I was 23. And uh, so we were talking about art and he said, oh, you're an artist. Do you make Christian art? And me as a 23-year-old who knew everything, I was like, I'm definitely going to play this game right now. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, do you, do you make Christian art? And I said, uh, yeah, I think so. And, and he's like, well, what do you make? And I started explaining the kind of artwork I make. And he's like, well, let me try. So I know this guy who he's, he makes Christian art and he, he sculpts shepherds out of, out of stone and, and, and wood. And the shepherds have sheep, you know, and things like that. And he's like, that's what I mean. Do you make Christian art? And I said, yeah, no, I don't. Um, I don't make that kind of Christian art. But you see, I am a Christian. Therefore, the art that I make is Christian art. And he's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't know. It's like this guy, like, I just want to know, can I buy something that has some explicit Thomas Kincaid style thing going on? And you're not answering my question and I probably missed out on a $1,000 commission. That could have really helped me because I was totally broke. <laughs> Remember, I was in the middle of getting a BFA at the time. So, but the, my, my point here is that sometimes we get confused about why we're doing something and if we're imitating somebody else and it, if, if we are making something that's authentic to who we are. And really, that's not even a sometimes, it's a everybody type of thing. So how do you learn to do something new? How do you learn to create something you've never created before? Usually, you imitate somebody else, right? Like if you're, if you're uh, refinishing 
a, a, a desk or something you found on the side of the road, or you're making pancakes following a recipe, or you're parenting, or you're learning how to make a spreadsheet or sell a house or uh, work at a nonprofit. There's a set of skills, and usually you like will shadow somebody. Either you shadowed a parent or somebody in school, or even if you become a teacher, you tend to take, pick up a lot of things that you learned from teachers. And we start out, all of us, we start out as imitators in the creative endeavors of our life. But for some of us, this really amazing thing gets to happen that we get to move from being imitators in what we create to finding our own voice, to aligning with some type of way of living, of creating things, whether it be a family or a career or a poem on a page. And we feel this sense of alignment within us that there is actually something we were meant to express that only we could express. And it gets to come out of us and through us into the world in front of us that we move from being imitators to actually creating with a purpose that feels like it was there all along for us. Anybody, anybody want that in your life more than you've got it now? Yeah, man, that feels so good. I am so excited about this. Tragically, many people live and die just imitating the voices that feel the loudest in their heads or in their lives or maybe the angriest. What does it look like to create from that vantage point, from, from that place where we are aligned inside of us and we get to create the way we feel like we were meant to. In this scripture, I think the writer is talking about this when he starts here with, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. So this word handiwork that we're reading in English is from a Greek word, the original language it was written in, and the word is poema, poema. And it could be translated as workmanship, that which has been made, or even simply, it's actually the word that we derive poem from. So I've got the little etymology there, on the next slide, I think, don't we? we have the etymology there on the next slide, no? Oh, okay, I guess it didn't work. Doesn't matter. Uh, nerd stuff anyway that I wanted to show. But I wanted to prove that there's a link between this word and the word that we have poem. And why that is, is because if we, if we read it that way, if we think about it that way, Paul is thinking about the people that he has known and he's saying, I want you to realize this about you, that you are a poem of God's, that you in your person are a work of art, a divine work of art. So what happens when you're thinking about creating with purpose, but it, it turns out you're the, you're the work of art? I know you've probably 
wanted to be called that. Like, whew, man, that person is just beautiful. They're like a work of art. They're like a specimen, you know, like, wow. But guess what? It's not just the, the beautiful people that get to be that and are that. Paul, Paul is imagining, he's thinking about the people in front of them. He's thinking about the ways that God has interacted and interrupted their world. And, and he's writing about this, trying to get them to see where their identity comes from and stems from and, and where it lies. And I'm gonna read to you the first nine verses before this and pull out one or two things about this here. You know what, before you do that, I just want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're a work of art. And turn to your other neighbor, neighbor and say, you're a beautiful poem. Verses one through nine. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Whoa, we're not there anymore, are we? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's COVID. Um, just kidding. Just kidding, visitors. <laughs> Verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." It's really interesting because in the next line, in the next scripture, the next verse that we're talking about, it's all about work, making stuff. But here Paul starts and he's talking to this group of people who lived in this place called Ephesus. And Ephesus, if you wanted to know God in this time and place in the ancient world, it would be a good place to go because they had all kinds of temples and statues and, uh, and all kinds of ways you could interact with all these different gods. And there was some really bad stuff going on in the name of God, just like there is today. And there, were, um, there, there was a proliferation of poorly treated lower class people who were slaves. There were, were um, temples where there was uh, religious prostitution that was a normal part of life and a normal way of things. And all the people there, this is their background. This is where they came from. This is how they knew to interact with the divine was through these different practices. And sure, there were some, there were some good things, but it was mostly based around this idea that these gods, you had to like keep them happy and you had to do all these kind of things that were uncomfortable. And they also happened to line up with, like Paul says in verse three, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And I wanna reframe that in a little bit of modern language. It's like your base impulses. Like the thing, like if you just had no filter on any time you got angry, any time you felt lonely, any time you needed 
you wanted some kind of quick fix for the things you're feeling inside, and hey, let's build a religious context around that and imagine that these gods require that of us. And so Paul says, hey, you were living this way. You were creating out of just the fear and the loneliness and the impulses that came with that. That's the way you were building a world. You were making little G gods out of all of these things. But guess what? This is being interrupted in your life by the living God who loves you so incredibly much, who has not only more in mind for you than those things, but has actually created a lane for you to run in that is full of grace and mercy and love that you have been creating from one purpose, one way of dealing with reality, and now you're being opened up to a new possibility of how you could live. You have been a piece of work all this time, a real piece of work, like almost like a rough draft of a poem or a painting that hasn't quite all come together to sing in the harmony that it was created for. So God's work in Christ is like the poet who says the first draft isn't good enough. You know when a poet is an amateur because they submit their first draft and they, they're like, what'd you think? What'd you think? And it's just not that good. It never is. And, and God's saying, I'm going to take the first draft that you wrote with your life and I'm going to help you turn it. I'm going to just turn a few of these. I'm going to cut out all these extra adjectives that you added and all these ways you use to describe beautiful and make it a little more simple and succinct, right? Too wordy. Your poem's too wordy. You got too much going on. I'm going to help you figure it out, line it up, and make it sing and hum so you can create with the divine purpose that was intended for your life. Anybody, amen. Amen. That's what I want. That's what I want out of my life. This is just what a good parent does. As I was even getting ready this morning, I was listening uh, to Becky, my wife, and she was trying to help, uh, to help my children reframe their base. And no, don't just hit him because you don't like that. Let's sit down and, and let's talk about it and let's figure out how we can make this interaction hum and sing. Or, <laughs> um, hey, Xavier, let's, let's help. We have, we have chickens, okay? We're, we're like doing the homesteading thing, you know? And it's like, Xavier, let's figure out how to like feed the chickens instead of chasing them with a stick. And now, now Xavier, he like goes in and he's like holding the chickens and rocking them. But yesterday he was chasing Benjamin around his big brother with a giant stick. And it's like, okay, why don't we build something with that stick? You know, there was PBS Kids was on and Becky was like, yeah, you see how they're building something with that stick? They're building a shelter, camping. This is what a good parent does. Reorients helps us work through because it helps us work through what, we're, what we've been given because if you have the potential to create, you also are going to have the potential to destroy. There's, there's no way around it. You can't be given one without the other. Imagine if God made it so that if you built a tower with Legos, you could never knock it down. You could never revise it. You could never change it. You can't have creation without destruction. 
And so part of, part of the goal, part of the parenting of the divine is to help us move through this process from these base levels of thinking and interacting to what we were really made for. This is a part of what it means to grow, to develop as a human being. There is a, a famous uh, psychologist, I don't know why I would say famous, well-known, uh, successful academic uh, named Eric Erickson, and he created these eight stages of human development. And we do have that on the screen. And in each stage, he, and this isn't, I'm not saying this is, this is came down from the mountain or anything like this, but it's a good guide. He identifies a basic conflict and a virtue in each one of these stages. And when you get down to the adolescent stage, you can see that there is a conflict of identity. To understand who you are, and let me tell you something, friends. If you don't know who you are, it is difficult to create with purpose. And in this stage, we're trying to figure that out. Who am I? Usually we figure it out as a teenager by saying, I'm not this. I'm not like my parents. I'm not a jock. I'm not a cheerleader or I am those things, right? That's how we try to determine who we are by what we are not. And the incredible thing about this chart, and I've found it to be true in my own life, is if we're not able to complete this task well, it inhibits the very next part, which is love. That if you don't have a self to bring to relationships, if you're relying on the rest of your environment to tell you who you are forever, I'm not saying it doesn't influence, but that you never align internally, you never feel a sense of God's pleasure in who you are and what you are doing and building, you cannot bring love and intimacy into your relationships like you could if you had that figured out. Paul, you can take that down. Paul hopes to give us a path to understanding more of our identity here. That's what he wants the Ephesians to know so much. He intuitively understands what Erickson put in his nice little modern chart. And that is we need to know, we all need to know, and we need to remember that each of us is a poem. If one artist rewrote another poem, well, like just copied somebody else's poem, we would just call that plagiarism. God doesn't do that with us. Each of us is a unique poem being spoken right now if you are alive. And when you die, that poem will never be spoken again. And so there are things for you to do while you are here that if they remain undone, if you are unable to create with that purpose 
of love rooted in this identity that this is who you are in God, it will remain undone. And that can be sad, but for me, when I look at myself or I look at you all, it's incredibly inspiring. And it fills me with wonder. Created in Christ Jesus, the scripture says. A poem created in Christ Jesus. Remember what would Jesus do? Remember that? There we go. We got one there. Um, you know, that a whole idea of what would Jesus do is, was always confusing to me. It was a little bit before my time where I was actually like trying to follow Jesus. Uh, but um, it was confusing to me because I'm like, I really, most of the things Jesus does, I can't actually re, like recreate those types of things. Like, oh, you've got, you, you have, uh, you've been bleeding for 12 years. Let me, let me heal you of that. Like, I'm like, oh, can't do that one. Bless and break the bread for thousands of people. That was just one. I, I could try, I'll try. But what does it mean to be a work of art created in Christ Jesus? I think it's a little bit something different. See, Jesus saw this world like a poem infused with the divine blessing of God. That these, these things that in our culture, in our society, we just see them as like raw materials to be pushed around. Jesus treated them of so much value and divine blessing and worth that he would say of God that not even a single sparrow falls to the ground without the notice of the creator. And so he saw this world in that way because Jesus was fully rooted in his identity in God. That the things that seemed so ordinary, he would bless them and he would gather them up and he would break and he would multiply these things and multiply the goodness of them. It's interesting because I don't think that Paul, who wrote this, was probably aware, there's no way he could have been, aware of how Jesus is described in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, where, where it basically said Jesus is the Word of God. He is the spoken out loud. If you were to speak out loud and see those words, it would form into the person of Jesus, that the perfect manifestation of God's will showed up in Jesus. Likewise, in a similar way, we are all lowercase p poems of God. Whereas we don't have to get all the grammar right in the poem, which what is that in a poem anyway? Who cares? We just want it to sound good. We just want it to work it until it makes sense, until it inspires us, until it feels like it touches something deep inside of our spirit and our soul. And so if we want 
to create with that type of purpose in our life, it really doesn't matter what you end up doing as a job necessarily, like what your day-to-day job looks like. It can definitely influence that for sure. And you will move towards those things, but some people don't have those chances or those opportunities for it to look like that. It really doesn't matter on that level if you get to experience this level of identity that God made you in. It's something that we've, that I read this, uh, this passage to you from Howard Thurman a few months back in another sermon series. And I wanna read just a part of it to you right now where he's talking about our life's assignment. It was something that he taught on in various times and occasions. Howard Thurman is a, don't put it up on the screen yet. It, Howard Thurman is is a spiritual teacher. He had one of the first racially integrated uh, churches uh, in the East East Coast area of of the United States at that time. He was a mentor to MLK Jr. He's written countless books and he he was a spiritual and Christian mystic. And this is what he said about our life's assignment. There is something in every one of you that waits listens for the genuine in yourself. And if you cannot hear it, you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. And if you hear it and then do not follow it, it was better that you had never been born. You are the only you that has ever lived. Your idiom is the only idiom of its kind in all of the existences. And if you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life spend your days on the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. What purpose do you want to create out of? We're not gonna talk about the processes of this voice this morning. We talk about that enough. I want to finish parts of the scriptures here that we have from Paul. Says in the last part, to do good works. That's how we were created as God's poem in and with Christ, to do good works. And that these good works were prepared in advance for us to do. You've You've been given a lane to run in. There's a lane for you to run in. No, no, matter, no matter what your circumstances in life are, there's a lane made for you to run in. And when you're in that lane, you feel it. Things feel aligned. They feel right. You feel congruent, to use a math term. I'm so proud of myself on that one. With the complex identity that God gave us, it, it takes time to figure it out. And, and here's an, another encouraging thing, I think, is it changes. There's parts of it that change. The parts of what you know about your purpose can and will change. And sometimes we think, oh man, I've got I've to like, make this happen. I'm holding this thing closed-fisted about what I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm supposed to figure, figure out right now. I think of Uncle Rico on, uh, on Napoleon Dynamite. He's the perfect caricature of this, where he's perpetually remembering like, man, if I could just go back 
Just go back. We would have won state for sure. You know, how much you want to bet I can throw a football over those mountains over there? You know, he's just stuck. Can't move on. Actually, spoiler alert, he, he moves on at the very end of the movie. It's really, it's deep. No, it's not. It's not at all. My purpose at 18 was just independence. Like, I'm just going to figure out how to do this by myself. But by 23, my purpose had changed dramatically. It was to serve in the inner city and to serve people in poverty. By 28, my purpose was really aligned with learning to be an excellent teacher in public schools. That's where I was really at. And to learn what it means to be married, which I still haven't figured that out at all. So parts of your purpose change. Sometimes your purpose is just to survive, just to like make it through the part of life that you're in. Yeah, amen, yeah. To the new mom of two, right? <laughs> you did it, you said amen out loud, Karen. My, my purpose, I feel like at this point, it's in, it, it gets, I get to do part of it as my job, but I feel like my purpose is to inspire, it's to help people heal, and it's to help create intergenerational sustainable living. <laughs> Those are the things that I'm extremely passionate about right now in my life and that I feel are aligned with who I am, that when, when I'm doing some of those things or doing any of those things, and it doesn't have to be something that I get paid for or anything like that, I feel the pleasure of God. I feel like I'm running in the lane that was prepared in advance for me. And the, the interesting thing is, the more that I have grown secure in my identity, that I'm the beloved of God, the less it has to do with what anybody else is doing. I have so many less people to blame in my life for when things don't go the way I want it to. I have so many less things to say, well, if this had worked out, then it would be okay. I have so many less resentments in my life that this person or that thing is holding me back because it seems like once you're in that lane, nothing can really stop you from doing those types of things. The context just tends to change a little bit, but it's the same lane. And, you know, I watch, I watch you guys run, run in your lanes, creating with purpose. I, I watch, you know, like Josh, I know you're about, you go, go ahead, go to the bathroom, man. Yeah, do your thing. He knows the sermon's ending and he's got a pee, so. Um, we've been doing this for a while, so we link, link up. Um, so Josh, he creates an atmosphere for worship and he's running in his lane when he does that. And another thing he does is he brings people along with him. Uh, he, he, that's part of him running in his lane. It's like he's, 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 a, he's the maestro of bringing people along and connecting people and helping people feel like they can accomplish something together musically that they couldn't otherwise accomplish. And, you know, I work with Mandy all the time and uh, Mandy, like, her, her purpose so often is like, she just creates order, you know? Like this chaos of ideas. And she's like, put it on that chart over there, Jamin. And let's get, let's focus over here. Put that on your dream chart. But guess what? She doesn't, she's not doing that to, to diminish me because she'll actually go back and revisit the things on the dream chart. Imagine that, right? 
And, and, and Ben, who I also work with, he connects. He's just connect, connecting people. He's excited about everything. He's like, he's just ma- he's like human glue, you know, for, for all the things that are going on. That's the purpose that they create with. And, um, you know, some people create with purpose and they just, they just like make everything all the time. Like Kara Minyard, she just makes things, just makes stuff all the time everywhere. She's just making things, bread, furniture, barns, people. Like she just is making stuff, you know? So at Christ City, our mission is as followers of Jesus, we're learning to serve with heart, worship in wonder, and to create with purpose. And for this last moment, I just wanna leave you with a couple questions about creating with purpose for you to consider. And if you do write anything down, you could write these questions down. Because somebody was telling me questions like this the other week and I couldn't find a working pen and I'm still trying to find out what those questions were. Here's some things if you're struggling that could kind of give you a little bump, a little head start. If you only had one week left to live, what would you do? If you thought about the entire year, and this is something a friend or a partner could help you answer too. If, if you look back at the entire year, what, is, what have you felt the most energized about in the past year? Those questions, just those two. And it's really good if you can ask somebody who knows you well what they think the answer to those questions are, because sometimes they'll see you better than you see yourself. Your purpose is in those questions and in this part of our mission is determining what it, where does the sound of the genuine emerge in you and running in that lane. So, when I think about that dentist, do you make Christian art? Heck yeah, I make Christian art. Yeah. Let's pray.